You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 133 with Chris Croucher from Just After Midnight. Chris, thanks for joining the show. Pleasure. Thanks, James. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about productized services. Again, uh, you may notice a couple of themes lately on the show. We've had a couple of CRO, conversion rate optimization uh, ones in a row, and now we're doing a couple of productized ones in a row. Um, because I think this is a pretty awesome topic for a lot of agencies. Now, Chris, um, could you start with a little bit of a background? Because you've, from my understanding, you had an agency for quite a while um, and then have gone on to sell that and and then now, I guess, sort of predominantly productized services. With, and it seems like you guys are running a pretty awesome uh, ship over there. So, yeah, I'd like to hear a little bit about sort of how where you came from and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so um, I've spent basically my entire career in digital since before it was called digital. Mm. I think it was called new media um, <laughs> when I joined the industry. Um, so I spent the early, really first part of my career, literally in my late teens, uh, in sales and ops for uh, a cable company putting dial-up internet and cable-based broadband um, into homes and businesses. That was the mid to late 90s. Um, and in the early 2000s, I moved from there to digital agency land, basically, and spent um, about 15 years in London, then Singapore in the last 10 years, uh, 10 years or so in Australia, uh, where we built a really great dig- independently owned digital agency. We grew it from about 20 people back in London in the early days to about 300 people, which was pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah, uh, God knows how we did it, but we managed it somehow. Um, and we um, we sold it to um, Ernst & Young um, to become their digital business in APAC uh, a few years ago. So... As a result of that journey, um, myself and my business partner, Sam, um, who's a good friend, um, learned quite a lot. And um, we founded Just After Midnight, where we basically turned a problem that we'd had uh, while we were in agency land into a productized service, which is a subscription-based product that basically made it possible for companies and agencies to get enterprise-grade 24-7 support for digital platforms um, cost-effectively. So I'm really interested in productizing services, partly because of that experience and partly because I spend a lot of time now um, at just after midnight talking to agencies. It's just in the daily course of my work, which I really enjoy. Mm. Uh, and what comes up time and time again is this, um, particularly right now in, in harder times, is this desire or kind of new focus on creating repeat revenue, getting more customer commitment, getting retained revenue. In other words, basically getting more runway, um, more laying more track in front of the train um, <laughs> rather than from the very front of the train, but further ahead, you know? Yeah, well, it's like um, typical um, agencies are always doing the, you know, well, not all of them, but it's a pretty common story that they're, they get a whole bunch of revenue in one go or they're worried and then they're worried about where their next yeah. next uh, client's going to come from and, and how they're going to, make you know payroll or whatever (laughs) yeah exactly it's you know the the situation that we find um a lot of agency owners and you know senior managers particularly of 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 larger agencies 
are that they are still, you know, retain, retainers have been a big part of the industry for a long time, although they, as we all know, they've been generally, there's a lot more specialization in the industry. There's a lot more project by project, campaign to campaign work than there is uh, retained work these days quite often. Retained revenue is often harder to come by. Mm. So we find a lot of the agencies are worried. The situation they're in now is they're worried about um, building and keeping that retained revenue particularly digital agencies um, that are in the business of producing kind of technology-based solutions as part of their service. Um, you know, they'll often say in their first breath, uh, they'll say they, they do a good chunk of retained revenue, but when you actually dig beneath the surface a bit, you tend to find, hmm. if you were to ask them, what's, what have you got contractually committed on your order book today? Um, you'd probably find a lot of project work, which perhaps burns out in the next three months, three to six months. So your runway beyond that is, you know, maybe only five, ten percent of the revenue you're going to need to run your business and to grow it. Yeah, um, and that that can be a bit scary. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so what? Uh, so you you obviously feel that productize is a good way to like fix that. Yeah, I think we what we believe is that productizing your services, um, or simply augmenting your core services with productized services that you're perhaps bringing in and integrating with your business. Mm helps you differentiate um, and it can give you uh, a kind of, I guess, a bunch of benefits. So when we, when we talk to agencies and, you know, obviously we're selling our particular products, but when we talk to agencies and they kind of outline those problems, the sort of the consequences that they're feeling are sometimes sleepless nights. Um, They're often making decisions on the new business opportunities that are presenting themselves to them based on short term objectives, like the need for cash um, the need to get the order, but keep the order book full. Um, and sometimes what that is resulting in is they're doing less of the work they love and more of the work that just pays the bills and course, staff yeah. aren't as happy and you know, harder to retain, those sorts of things. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. Productizing services um, can offer that. So and I suppose what... No, you're right. Go. What I find is probably important is, um, in, I suppose, in this discussion, is what, what does productization of services mean? Um, sometimes people say, well, you know, it's just a service. You have to be a product. Um, if you go and Google the different definition of product, um, I'm sure there are lots of other places where there are some other definitions, but it basically <laughs> says an article or I think it's an article or substance that's manufactured or refined for a sale. So nice and nice and broad. So really, <laughs> for, for me and for, for us um, running our business, we, we kind of decided there were probably a few characteristics that set apart us what we're doing in services from products. Um, and those things would probably look something like having a predictable price, um, either one-off if it's a one-off product or an ongoing price if it's a productized service where, where you're trying to build that retained, which is kind of where we come from and where my head tends to be at most of the time. Um, it will have a, um, a fixed set of services or capabilities, if you like, or features um, that are repeatable without redesigning whatever it is your product is every time you go to a customer, which is tends to be where agency people, including us previously, were, you know, you, you do a custom response to every brief. There's no cookie cutter. Mm. Um, that's, you know, that often you hold as a kind of unique selling point. Um, but yeah, so it, it being repeatable is important for being a product. Um, it could be tailorable with some simple sort of fixed variables, um, some things that control the value of what the customer receives. So an example for us is things like, do we do 24-7 support for the client or do we just do out of hours? Um, what does the service levels look like? Is it yeah. bronze or yeah. is it gold, you know? 
Um, and the, the, I think the, the fifth thing that's probably most important is that it's commercially viable when you offer it to multiple customers. So you can build a genuine, completely independent revenue stream with multiple customers, and it's and it's commercially viable. You can scale it um, from your with a, with a key set of resources, so you kind of know what the financials are. So the challenge yeah. being, there's quite a lot to think about. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, when you do so, one thing I'm sort of wondering, because because I, I know a lot of people that listen to this are in the web design space, you know, it's kind of hard to productize a website, right? Or at least I, I know it like sort of can be done, especially if you've got templates and themes or whatever, but a lot of people don't want to do that, right? They want to create bespoke solutions for customers. Do you have any ideas or suggestions on what people in that position can do to create a productized service on top? Because, like, I mean, the, the standard one is website maintenance. Sort of everyone's doing that these days and, you know, um, hosting and, and maintenance uh, as part of the website after it gets delivered. Um, now, is there anything else you think those kind of agencies could look at? Because when there's bespoke think, work um, like that, but you want to add that recurring revenue stream afterwards. I mean, we, when we were running uh, the agency that we ran, Reading Room, um, we did have some experience actually attempting to productize um, some of our own services. In the very early days, this isn't really the kind of thing you do these days, but back in the early days, in the early 2000s, we created our own content management system um, and branded it. Um, and I'll be honest with you. It is challenging to do that if you if you run a digital development agency because every customer's requirements are just enough different that hmm. um, trying to create something repeatable can be challenging. It is possible to create a code base, for example, um, which you can reuse, but there are inherent limitations to doing that because um, you always run into the customer that needs it to work just slightly differently. And it almost ends up costing you more to try and repurpose the product to meet their needs. So you really have to understand when you're going into productization of software in particular, um, what you're doing it for. And really the, the, the fundamental tension is if you're going to sell a product, then you need to decide which variables you're going to allow to flex and you're going to have to say no to everything else because productization for that kind of thing is generally about simplicity. So there are lots of agencies that will deliver lots of WordPress sites, for example, and therefore have a core set of WordPress plugins that you might use. And then some plugins maybe you've built that might address some common customer requirements for your particular type of customer. Um, every client you meet is going to want it to work slightly differently inevitably. So I would argue that often what we found when we had um, our, um, our custom CMS of the day with our brand name on it, it was much more a marketing tool than anything else. It was like fishing bait. So we put on our website three packages, um, launch pad, I think we called it, and we had you know bronze, silver, gold kind of packaging. And really, it was a simple way for the customer to see our proposition and to access it and go, oh, okay, yeah, I like the medium one. It's got these kind of five modules in it. It does this and this and this. Take and they they could sit, submit an inquiry and talk to us. And the minute they talked to us and we'd get a brief. We get oh, okay. Well, yeah, there are some common things in there are some things in your requirements in common with Launchpad, but actually you need X, Y, and Z, and we end up doing a custom project. Mm -hmm. So I think it's um, to be honest, I think it's very difficult to um, standardize. I th also, I think it depends on the strategy of your agency. You've hired probably, hopefully, some talented people that want to flex their muscles, and if you're at that kind of project point where you're trying to repeat 
using a product, then how much value you're getting from those people who are thinkers. Maybe you get more value from them. But I, I, I think it's very difficult, actually. We, uh, we created a, a product successfully in Singapore for the schools market, and that was really successful. So we, I guess the, 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 the reason we were successful there is because we found a particular problem to solve for a very specific type of customer, which was basically all the schools in Singapore. Yeah. Um, they all need a website. Um, and so they all had a very, very tight set of requirements, which were easily repeatable. So for that, it really worked. Um, well, that's and that's, so I guess you, I sort of, it, you touched on that before. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just I really want okay. to drive that point home because you made a very good point, yeah. and you touched on it before as well when you said like you might have a set of plugins for a particular type of customer. I mean, that's when you have a you know who you're working with. That's huge, right? I think that's almost requirement for productized service. Like, how do you do? You can't really productize a website build if you're trying to serve everyone, you know, because a no, restaurant is right. probably going to need a booking plugin and a dentist yeah. is, I don't know, they're going to need something very different. So if you know who you're working for and like that's, you just gave a perfect example of schools, like they're probably all going to need very, very similar things and pages and, and whatever. So, and, and I guess the people listening to this, like th- there's always the worry that um, you are going to alienate clients or whatever or like you you're gonna sort of cause problems to your current business there's no reason you can't sort of do both like have those products that you were talking about like those three levels um, maybe even spun off as a different brand you know websites for schools and then anyone that doesn't fit into that they get referred to your bespoke brand and and then you give yeah, them a that, much that's, bigger that's price. absolutely right that's absolutely right i mean our experience where we, where we made mistakes and we failed to productize um ourselves and I, I think i've seen this elsewhere as well um fortunately um if you if you if you basically drop in in fact we made a huge mistake once on a particular pro- product kind of initiative that we had where we um we created this product um and i guess we didn't really communicate to the team that we usually that we used usually used to you know designing and building whatever the customer wants, um, responding to a, a brief, um, put, applying some thinking, and then building whatever it is they dream they dreamt of. Um, we tried to get that team to deliver um, this product for our customers, and actually, what happened was the people in that team turned those product implementations into custom projects. <laughs> so actually, what we learned from that is that one of the best things that you can do is separate the separate the resources that are delivering for those customers. Um, you need a strategy which is different and that team needs to understand the strategy for delivery. So, you know, um, this is a product. Everyone needs to understand this is a product. There are some limitations. There's less flexibility. Mm-hmm. There's more simplicity. Um, this you'll, you'll get to the customer to where they need to be faster, but they'll probably have to compromise on 20% of their requirements because, you know, the product does 80%, not, not 100. Um, and actually, even financially, for the kind of, you know, for the for the people who are running the numbers in the business, we um, found separating out the profit and loss. Um, so you can see the revenue, you can see all the costs that you're sinking into that team to run it um, is quite important. And actually having somebody who runs that team, ultimately who owns it, once you've you know got sufficient business to, to fund a team um, is quite important. So it, it is, yeah, separate brands and actually organizationally and strategically mm. separate, financially separated um, as well, ultimately. Idea. Obviously you can't, do that at the beginning when you if you're just going out for the first time and testing a product but once you've got some traction that's quite important to start doing 
Yeah, I can. That's actually a really good idea. Um, you know, and I've been pretty bad in the past at separating, like financially, especially. You know, like we we had to sell a business one time, uh, like a software business, and we were running like two software products as well as the agency all through basically the same set of bank accounts and and splitting out <laughs> all of the transactions for that yeah. product was just awful. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, also- you know, as if we didn't. I mean, I. Yeah, I know from the same experience. Frankly, you know, having we, I set Jam up in Australia three years ago. The business has been going for about five, and I am only now getting to the point where I don't do heaps of financial admin every day. Mm. Um, it's the bit that no one tells you you're going to have to do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I kind of um, I would only suggest doing it to the degree which is practical. Mm. Yeah, and so I really like that idea of separating. You know, like this came up in the last episode. Um, it was coincidentally also called Chris from Service Provider Pro about, you know, creating a, a second brand in a way, um, you know, in case, you know, you can just, especially if it's a cheaper price, you know, and you don't want to um, yeah. ruin the, I guess, your higher prices with your main agency. And you can always like, if someone doesn't have the budget for you, you can refer them down to the the cheaper, you know, productized service or whatever and vice versa the other way, you know, so you can, you can swap people that uh, that come in and they don't fit the product size, you can send them to your main agency, but then taking that separation further to like financial and like all your reports and everything, that's very clever, right? Because it'd be easy to hide uh, shitty profit margins <laughs> with, with the rest of the, like the yeah. business. That's I mean, doing it, well. All of it comes back to whatever the shareholders um, objectives are for the business, really. Mm. Um, certainly, um, you know, as, as anyone who's, been involved in trying to sell or sell an agency knows beauty is in the eye of the beholder the value that someone will pay for your company depends on where they are coming from and what they're looking for to develop their own business and the story they have to tell their own shareholders or potential shareholders so i think having it separated out helps because it means when you get to the point where you're selling you've got options you can paint a different picture depending on who you're talking to uh, as a potential buyer um, and it may be that you're even you're even creating something as you, you know as you've done, James, where you can actually say, okay, we're going to take this and we're going to sell it off and, we, and continue to run this bit of the business, which is more interesting for us right now. Um, it does. Yeah, and if, and if you've separated work, the yeah. team, if you've separated the teams, like you were saying, then that's going yeah. to be a lot easier as well. You know, that's because yeah. we're trying to sell a software business, another like an old one at the moment. And the question that comes up all the time is like, is the person who does support coming with the business? And I'm like, no, because she works for us. You know, like so <laughs> yeah, that's that's really hard for people. Uh, yep. So being able to provide all the the team as well would be amazing on on the selling side. I was also thinking like when you because you said before that the creative people you know they want to flex and and do cool things if you put them on products they're not going to enjoy it you're probably going to hire a very different type of person as well for for the productized team yeah i think so i mean for 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 us and in the position that we took for jam and productizing a service our rationale was um to productize a service in order that um, the creatives could actually focus more on what they like doing rather than doing the shit stuff, to put it bluntly. Um, so, so we do the shit stuff for them and they get to do the exciting stuff. Um, that was the idea. But even you know, even if it, there, are, there are agencies out there that actually do what we do inside their own business when they're brave enough to, to want to do 24-7 support themselves. Um, you know, for some, that's practical because they're international. For some, it isn't. Um, and what we find is those 
those customers are particularly receptive to us literally because the people that work for them want to be doing, you know, even the developers, they're creative technology people. They want to be doing interesting things. And of course they're, you know, creative and traditional creative and design teams, um, content teams want to be doing exciting stuff. Mm. They don't want to be fighting fire. So I think um, in terms of how you decide on what your products are, um, starting with a good idea of what the problem is and knowing the personas of the people that are potentially going to buy it and really what situation they're in and what <clears throat> what's currently bothering them yeah um, is really important well that's only really um, going to come if you know uh, know a particular industry very well right or like you can notice yeah. some like commonalities among your clients if you're doing everything for everyone that's going to be quite difficult which uh, i don't know i've kind of said that already but it is something i know a lot of people listening to this deal with especially the you know smaller agencies and freelancers it's um very very common to try and do too many things and and no one wants to niche down and you know i i, I don't know like i'm a little bit of a hypocrite here like with our product content snare we've always been um digital agencies web designers right we're our market um you know i've got a spreadsheet in front of me right now that i forgot to close before we got on this chat about all the different industries that we're going to try to target at some point right we're going the opposite yeah, we're going so, away and- from niche but like so i guess i just wanted to highlight that yeah I know, like it is hard but uh, you know and not everyone does it and even people like me who say you should don't necessarily do it although we did I'll we say, started with you know, a niche. We, we have i mean we've we, i think we have in the we, we came a long way. We spent 15 years running an agency and we did, we tried to stay focused and we, we like you just said, you know, we tried to, to live by that mantra as well. But frankly, we ran a very production led business, um, very project to project and someone has to pay the bills. And we actually ran, as we grew, we ran multiple offices around the world. We had five teams in London, we had a couple in Singapore, we had four in Australia. It was like whack-a-mole, you know, you'd have five teams that are doing great. Everything's fine. Financials are good. The customers are happy. And then you'd have problems, you know, in this office and you'd have to whack it <laughs> and whacking it often meant doing some work that, you know, company clients do business with companies they trust and companies will often customers will bring you things, which might not be really your core, but you do them. Um, and then you continue to do them. And before you know it, you are becoming a generalist and it's easy to say, Oh, well, you should stick to your knitting and specialize um but unless you've started out with that in mind and it's very core um it can be really challenging to stick to that yeah Um, that's it and that's why i also like the idea of you know having a second team uh, like when you do a productized service that is then you can stick to your guns there right like if you don't well, I guess it's not as much stress if you've got the the bespoke agency sitting there and then you, you know, you really go hard on the productization for, um, you know, your second line, your second business. I think it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah, that's right. I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit uh, about your story. So how you went from the bespoke agency to what you have now, which is, are you hundred percent productized now? Do you manage WordPress sites for your clients? If so, you should probably check out WP Remote. It's a central platform to manage all of your sites in one place. That includes security, malware, uptime monitoring, and it's even got a built-in staging system. But my favorite feature is the visual regression system that will give you an alert if something breaks on an update so you can get in there and fix it. It was created by the same people behind BlogVault and Melcare, 
Now, Blog Vault is one of the best backup plugins I've used, and it's also trusted by some of the biggest WP maintenance agencies out there like GoWP, WP Buffs, WP Valet. So if these guys rely on it, you know it's rock solid. You can try WP Remote for free and get 10% off any of the paid offerings by going to wpremote.com slash highway. Now let's get back to the show. Um, almost about, I'd, I'd say, if we were to look at it from revenue terms, about 80% of our revenue, 85% of our revenue is from um, subscription-based products, which really yeah. fall into 24-7 support and managed cloud. Um, yeah, of course. So, managed cloud hosting for, you know, ag- for agencies yeah. and their customers uh, who are running right. customer-facing digital products, websites, apps, commerce systems. Those yeah, of cool. So, so how, like, um, what I'd like to hear is sort of how you decided on that like how you worked out that was the problem that you wanted to solve and how you went about from the old agency to the new agency i feel like i I have a bit of an understanding already but be good to hear just yeah yeah sure thing um so i guess um well where we started um in our thinking where sam and i started sam and i were working together um eventually in different parts of the world but originally in london um for this agency reading room and um like a lot of agencies we just um we, as we, were, we obviously grew from really small to quite a decent, scary size, actually, for an independently owned agency. Um, and in the course of doing that, we were building these, um, I guess, what were becoming business critical sites and commerce platforms and apps for customers. Um, some of them small, you know, charities with not huge amounts of money, for example, but their online platforms were really core to their business, driving things like donations and participation um, for government driving government digital services and and for lots of um, enterprises in the course of doing that we were very good at the ux stuff we were great at delivering the web technology underneath and probably our strongest suit really was the process we used to deliver Um, we were very nimble Um, it was very iterative customers liked it they felt like we were a safe pair of hands but we kept running into this problem when we were pitching and as we were growing we were running into bigger and bigger competitors who were a bit more scary and a bit more capable than us as well Um, and we had a few pitches, including one, I won't really mention the, the client's name, um, but a, a big global customer that we were pitching to. And we got down to the final two and we've got the CMO sitting in the room with a few of their team. And they really liked us because they thought we understood their brand and the kind of communications goals they had. And then we had the CIO and, you know, an IT policeman <laughs> to make sure we're not <laughs> technical idiots in the room. And the CIO kind of stopped us halfway through the meeting and just said, you know, just, just tell me one thing. What are you going to do just after midnight when my website gets um, a denial of service attack or it's, it falls over? And we did what a lot of agencies do in that scenario, um, as we've learned since, um, which is we did our little sort of cat on a hot tin roof dance and said, don't worry, Mr. Customer, you know, we'll have a, a developer available at the weekend with a mobile phone. And he just said, look, you know, stop. We're a global Fortune 500 company. This web platform is, you know, the face of our business globally um we we're not reputationally going to be able to just get by with the dev on the phone at the weekend uh, this was kind of a, cost, a conversation that kept repeating itself in different guises and actually the just after midnight phrase got thrown about more than once by customers so that's obviously where the name came from um and we realized that um we did some research and tried to find some partners that could help us deliver that kind of service and you know we went to hosting companies they all say they do 24 7 support which they do but they only support the servers not the thing that we were actually building for the client, which was largely the thing that was going to go wrong, if anything. Cloud hosting, you know, is pretty reliable these days. 
Um, so we eventually realized there was just no one in the market really who could do this kind of full stack support. And, and actually also that understood just how agencies work. Like having run one, I feel like I can say it honestly, and most people I hope would agree that agencies are chaos a lot mm. of the time. Clients want stuff and they want it yesterday and they change their requirements all the time. And that's you know not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the landscape we work in in agency. And when you go to the IT sector to try and get some services for something like hosting or 24-7 support, what you're faced with is slow response for even the sales process, just to get a quote so you can give it to your client. Um, you're faced with, um, actually generally it's just like swimming in treacle. Everything is slow. Um, and there's no kind of empathy for how the agency has to respond to their clients. So that all of those problems were really things that we'd faced and they informed what we created in Jam and, and just after midnight. Mm um down for sure we, yeah. we were um basically trying to solve that problem and, and initially the grain of the idea was this to be this go-to 24 7 support partner for brands and their agencies um and now today yeah about half our customers are agencies and about half our direct customers who uh, want us to play nicely in the sandpit with all of their agencies or and other suppliers mm. um, doing that kind of thing yeah so it's a classic um, story of like spotting a problem and creating a solution yeah and the one thing I would share that I really only Sam and I really only kind of discussed recently um, when we had the idea, Sam really kind of took the bull by the horns and led it. And I was a bit skeptical. Uh, I wasn't sure that we could get people to pay. Um, and actually also, I think I missed the point a bit and I thought that the service was a bit boring and that it turns out was the clincher. Um, I like a lot of people at the time thought, you know, support, sounds a bit dull doesn't it you know i really enjoy doing consulting meeting customers learning about their problems etc cetera, etc cetera. enjoying and enjoying that creative process why do i want to go and run a support business can you imagine anything worse you know but actually what i i guess i only realized in hindsight having taken the leap um to to, to get this business going here in australia was that we actually had found the itch that hadn't been scratched um it is a hard problem to solve um it is boring <laughs> um, you know, this, it's hard to get excited about support itself. But in there, we had a particular problem. And we realized that the people we were talking to about the problem we thought we might solve when we were kind of talking to friends and, you know, industry people about, you know, we've got this idea, what do you think? There are those people that no matter what happens, they will tell you your idea is great because they're really nice people. Oh, I guess um, most people. It's like people that's... challenges as well. Ask, asking people if like an idea is good is just like a surefire way to get wrong answers like <laughs> just everyone <laughs> yeah, will I mean, say yeah, yes unless they're haters they're, 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 they're either hater who will tell you everything is bad including all the good ideas um because they're not generally risk takers or they are people who are just really nice to you yeah. um so you kind of have to take some use some judgment but yeah we, we we got to that point and i realized myself that actually one of our biggest strengths was that we a lot of people didn't take the opportunity to address the problem that we'd addressed in the market because they thought the same thing. They thought it was boring and they didn't really see it as a big enough problem. Um, and so we found it and we haven't, we have yet to find anyone other than in-house agency teams that are, as I say, brave enough to decide to do it themselves, which often they're not because they were more interested in other things. No one has found that. So yeah. in any, in any, I guess in any kind of um, scenario where you're creating a new product it is, I know it sounds obvious, but it is really hard. It is really important to be alert for the less obvious problems, the less attractive problems, mm. and to challenge assumptions around problems that are considered too hard to address. 
Yeah, um, and that's kind of you know I, I see it more as one of those as the compared to like you know boring. I don't I don't really consider it boring. I but hard to solve a hundred percent because I think this will be good to riff on just for a little bit because a lot of people with productized services try to find something that can be simplified, right? You know, look, website maintenance, pretty easy, update the plugins. If something goes wrong, you know, fix it, mm. whatever. Whereas I see supporting custom apps and especially I'm imagining you haven't built some of these apps or most of these apps, you know, like I can Everything see this. Everything we be- support is built by someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I see this as being like incredibly hard and something that people would write off as not being productizable where you've managed to do it. Yeah. Right. So this is what I'd yeah. like to sort of talk about for a bit. Cause how do you, one, how do you support custom apps that you haven't built? Like, do you have to have a time, like time to become familiar with the app or whatever? And how do you control costs? Like, how do you have yep. any idea what something's going to cost and give someone a retainer when it could be this pile of shit that someone's built? You know, <laughs> I'm really interested in that. That's right. So, um, I mean, that is the problem that we have solved commercially uh, in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first thing is, uh, th- to be honest, what you just outlined there is really all the things, all the things that would have initially made us think twice about doing this business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were very scared, I guess, at the beginning, um, it, before we launched the idea, that, yeah, exactly. What if somebody brings you a big pile of steaming shit to support? <laughs> you didn't write the code. Um, you didn't build it. You don't know where the bodies are buried. Um, it might be 10 years old. It might have had 15 different developers or 20 different developers work on it who have all you know, churned and burned. Um, how the hell are you going to support this thing? So the first, I guess, the, I guess one of the important things that we realized early on is if we didn't build it, then we cannot be responsible ultimately for the, you know, the, the quality of the, the product. That has to be the person who owns it ultimately. But what we can do is we... We, we can do more than other people will do is run away from that problem. We can say to a customer, look, we know you've got a pile of shit here. Um, what does critical problem really mean? So in our world, we're talking about support and we are to most people what a paramedic is to you if you get run over by a car. Uh, in fact, we have one additional benefit, which is that we can tell we can tell that you might get run over by a car before you get run over because we, you know, ultimately we monitor the platforms that we support and we can detect problems sometimes before they're going to occur um but when a problem does occur um our job is really to deal with the severe issues so what we call severity one and two i.e the house is on fire um or you know majority of audiences are affected or the thing is completely down um and there are actually a number of things that you can do to remediate those issues in fact it turns out that over 95 percent of our support tickets can be resolved in less than half an hour um there is a lot of doing the equivalent of bashing the tv on the top which you know is ultimately restarting things clearing yeah, pages, they turn it off and on again stuff, doing some, <laughs> yeah doing some simple technical things that can remediate those issues but there aren't many companies that will do that at three o'clock in the morning for you when your customers might still be using your platform mm. um so that's that's kind of interesting so we kind of realized that we could do that we, we have put some commercial guardrails up as well which is important to think about in some of these products where you've got this kind of degree of risk um so for us we use um we use the SLA so you know how quick do we need to respond and fix something um we use a commercial criteria which is a ticket cap so essentially if you bring us your your pile um if it looks really good and it's pretty stable then we don't need much of a ticket cap we might cap your number of tickets a month at five that means the risk we're taking is up to five tickets a month and we know what our cost to deliver that is 
Um, if you bring us a really big steaming pile that's maybe a 10-year-old website and it's been hacked around by lots of developers and things fly off and go wrong all the time, you probably need a bigger ticket cap and say you'll pay more. Um, but, you know, your SLA might be a bit lighter um, because it might be less business critical, so it might still be a bit cheaper. So what we've done is created a kind of business where we can stack support contracts on top of each other. And we know from the data, particularly having now run the business for five years, what our business costs to run. Um, so we're now at a stage of maturity where we've carved out what we call multiple pods teams, basically, fancy name for teams, <laughs> um, that contain a fixed number of resources. And we know that that number of people can support 40 customers. And in that bucket of 40 customers, there are 30 which are no trouble at all. And they just pay us because they want to know that when that thing happens in once a year, someone's there at three in the morning to catch the baby. Um, and the other 10 are probably a bit more troublesome. They're a bit more noisy. And it's almost like um, insurance rather than um, <laughs> a technical business. Yeah. In that, you know, we kind of commercially, we've got a model that says, you know, we know where the effort will go. And we know that some of it will be very little effort for most of the time. But the value the customer gets still is having the, the headache taken away. Um, so they don't, they're not unhappy to pay for that service because they receive some value from it. Yeah, I think this is a really cool idea of like, so for a lot of people, productizing means something, you go to someone's website and you click a button and you sign up for it and you've paid the money. But this is a little different, right? Like you have to uh, um, look at the person's code or whatever, look at the code base, make an evaluation, and then you give them a quote. I think, you know, there's something a lot of people miss and I've just... I think yeah, I've I mean, kind of missed that too. You're about to do experience, that. We've, 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 we've standardized our pricing for common customer scenarios. Mm. So most of our agency partners have a, they have a, um, when they're signed up as a partner with us and we're in confidence with them and they have a partner guide and that partner guide contains um, all the guidance pricing they need. So for most customers, they can actually self-serve. Basically they can bring us a, an opportunity and say, Hey, I've got a customer. It's a Drupal website or a, it's this kind of app. Um, and they can go to their customer and say, here are the options. They don't need to talk to us in depth beforehand. Um, but when there's, when it's more co complex, you know, uh, some customer platforms have been built by many hands with lots of different moving parts. They can bring us those things. And yeah, we, we do, we, we assess um, what the risk looks like mm. and figure out also what, where the customer sees the most value. What's the biggest problem we've got to solve. Um, I like this. Yeah. Cause it's definitely uh, something different that I don't think a lot of people think about when it comes to productization. Like you can have a standardized delivery of something that isn't necessarily something someone must click on a button to buy. You know, That's you right. can have that conversation first. That's yeah. I like it. So just, I really liked your paramedic analogy too. So I'm curious, um, like, so are you then basically supporting the, like just getting things back online until someone else picks up and fixes it properly later is that sometimes um, yeah so um the truth is that the you know the majority of issues are resolvable there and then um right. and then uh, these are incidents if we if we think in terms of incidents and problems problems cause incidents and problems can be persistent wherever it, whereas an incident has a beginning and an end and usually it, you know will be quite short it could be a few hours or hopefully less um so our job is to handle incidents so we monitor something keep you know, keep an eye on it um, if we see some alerts, we go investigate it. Mm. Um, if we see the thing is down or it's not performing as it should do, you know, someone can't put something in a shopping basket, for example, that's pretty fundamental. Um, 
those kinds of things. Uh, we pick that up um, and we go to work straight away to remediate and we remediate it and we communicate with the customer regularly so they actually know someone's dealing with it, which sometimes is more important than fixing the problem, frankly. Mm. Um, actually communicating with people and letting them know that it's being dealt with is really, um, is really important because it's, it can be a bit stressful for people who are the heads of digital or you know the website um, when those things happen. Um, and from there, yeah, we've onboarded the application we're supporting. We normally take in a couple of weeks' time uh, with the agency to figure out where the bodies are buried. As I said, you know, <laughs> what does this thing do? Why does it go down sometimes? Um, and yeah, we we then remediate the incident and we provide information back to the agency when they arrive in on Monday morning or whenever it is they come back into the office. Say, hey, there was an incident last night. This is what happened. This is what we think went wrong. This is how we fixed it. Um, but actually here is what we think the underlying problem is. Right. And, then they, and they can then go tackle that in their business hours if they need to. Mm. Um, and that's that That takes a lot of noise out of their hair. And it also means the devs in those teams can be slightly less stressed about having to deal with what normally happens in agencies, as I know when I ran one, was the project manager or account manager is tapping the dev on the shoulder continuously saying, hey, can I just distract you with this other thing I need you to do? Mm-hmm when the dev is in the middle of desperately trying to finish writing the um, code and develop the thing, which has probably already gone into UAT and testing for the client because we're up against a timeline and they're already working till midnight anyway. And the last thing they need is extra support burden as well, which is what they often get. Mm. So that, you know, that's where we, I guess we make a big difference. Yeah. Like this is really, very really interesting to me. I guess one, one question, the last question I have is like, how do you, handle supporting multiple platforms i imagine there's so many different things people come to you with could be custom wordpress drupal like whatever how and different languages too something going to be php rails.net like i don't know where your service offering ends but how the hell do you handle that so when we started out um we were this is in part driven by commercial necessity to guys when we started out we went and tapped on the doors of most agencies that we used to know as competitors. So we were a big, um, at Reading Room in the in agency land, we were a big Sitecore partner. Heaps of our projects were on Sitecore, which was, for those that don't know, you know enterprise-grade global content management system leader. Um, and we did lots of our work on Sitecore. And then in government, we did lots of work on Drupal. Because it was very popular in government, and that was mm. where we did a lot of our work too. So inevitably, when we started Jam, we just went and, you know, friends, fools and family, we had knocked on all the doors and said, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. And we, 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 some of the early people we recruited from our own network were in that cycle space and that Drupal space. So that was where we began. Um, and that was very helpful because the, the, the truth is you don't actually need enormous depth of understanding of those products to be able to provide critical incident support because critical incidents are normally characterized by quite a large common set of problems which can be resolved without having deep application knowledge product knowledge of those platforms but it helps a lot so we've got i guess where we've where we've developed over time is some specialisms around certain vertically around certain products including sitecore and drupal and some others now um, but actually a lot more of our work these days is SaaS products which are inherently are custom built um, they're often very heavily integrated with cloud platforms like AWS and they're often using serverless technologies in, in cloud. Um, and really, it's much more about having a good process um, and DevOps people, people from infrastructure and development backgrounds put together that have a particular have a particular set of characteristics about them as individuals. So less about the depth of um, experience they have in one product or platform versus another, although that can be useful, and more about, you know, when we look for a level, what we call a level two engineer, 
um, which is someone who's technical and is going to be investigating these problems. They need to be really inquisitive people and they need to be natural problem solvers who are used to working with a limited amount of information and they're not unhappy with that. And all of us know in our daily life when we work with people in our teams, there are those that... um, those people who are perceived as risk takers often are the ones that appear to need virtually no information in order to make a decision because they appear to make all the decisions based on emotion. And there are those that seem to want every bit of information before they could possibly make a decision and they take months and months. And we have to look at the mix of both those kinds of people. We're looking often for people for that particular role who are quite capable and comfortable working with new technologies and picking things up quickly and, and, finding those kind of um, finding those problems by being methodical. So a bit of, a bit of a balance of both for us is the, yeah. um, is the answer. Yeah. And look, I, the main reason I wanted to talk about that is because like you're tackling something for productize that is inherently a very difficult problem. And I think yeah. it's good to highlight that because a lot of people are probably like, Oh, I don't like, that's not productizable. If I heard, if someone came to me with that, I don't know, before talking to you, <laughs> I'd probably be like, ugh, like, in no way do I want to productize yeah, I mean, the, honestly, honestly the, 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 the perception of um, what problems will you will encounter or we will encounter when we're trying to support something versus the reality is actually quite different. Most people yeah. think, oh, my God, you're going to need to know, you know, you're going to need to address code issues in the middle of the night for example, and that really would require you to understand what this application has been has been written in, um, what all the bits of code are doing, how things interact with each other. Mm. Um, in actual fact, we don't touch code. Right. It is incredibly rare for us to need to touch code because most code level issues occur within minutes or hours of a deployment. Yeah. Um, and we will work with our agencies and clients to um, support them around deployments where we know there's a high risk of things failing. Um, and plan properly. So a lot of it's in process, not about mm. kind of depth of knowledge, um, having good process around it um, for, for dealing with those circumstances. There you go. Well, Chris, uh, thank you for sharing this. This has been awesome. Like, I think it's been kind of a little bit, it was very different than what where um, a lot of productized chats go. So uh, I hope this kind of inspires people to create their own productized service. Now, just to finish up, how... Like, obviously, it should be fairly obvious at this stage how Jam supports agencies. But, um, yeah, you just want to finish off with a little bit about, I guess, what you do for agencies that might be listening to this and where they can find out about it. I'm guessing you've probably got a good idea for the last 10 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, to, um, to, to summarise, um, yeah, our, our job um, in life is to um, protect the revenue and reputation of the agency and the customer um, from the perspective of, the uptime and the performance of their digital platforms. So if you're an agency and you probably get very few briefs where this is explicitly asked for, but when you do, you know you've got one. You'll get a tender, government or non-government, and it will say some scary things about 24-7 support and how you're going to deliver it and what are your service level agreements or SLAs, as they'll call them, those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. Where we add value is understanding that stuff, and we can give competent, capable answers that we can evidence um, with references to the, to those problems. Um, so you haven't got to go and basically beg, steal or borrow a few of your devs to pretend they're doing 24-7 support or, you know, do things that we used to do, like price the support really high just in case the customer really, really wants to give it to you, mm. just in case you win it. Um, you don't need to wing it anymore. You can do 24-7 cost effectively for your clients that really need it. And actually, you can earn a good margin doing it. 
Yeah, awesome. And I think, uh, you know, I can 100% relate to this because when we built custom software products for people, we did, we had a lot of people ask about support, you know, what would happen if something went wrong at XYZ o'clock. You know, thank, we were lucky that some of our um, things we built were, you know, only for Australians. So we didn't have to worry too much about the nighttime stuff. Um, but yeah, now I've seen that question come up a bunch and it's something I consider for our SaaS, you know, it's like what, what happens um, if someone's not available? Like right now we had a small problem. Wasn't It was literally for one client, um, just a very one-off thing. Uh, but our main developer that built that's on holidays, you know, and I'm just like, oh God, it'd be nice yeah. to have <laughs> some support. Um, yeah, you know. Common, common problem. Yeah. Like, I mean, if it was a serious problem and where something went down, we'd be able to handle it. But yeah, it's just, it makes me, yeah, I, I can totally relate to the problem you're solving. So yeah, Chris, um, yeah, again, thank you. Thank you so much for this. Pleasure, James. Thank you. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.